All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you to everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd firstly like to thank our sponsors for this episode in Fly Racing. Fly Racing is excited to celebrate its 25th anniversary in 2023, led by the revolutionary new Formula S helmet featuring a host of incredible features. Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product performance and design. We would like to thank all our loyal dealers and customers for 25 incredible years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new line at flyracing.com, at flyracingusa on social media and our athletes at Worldwide Motocross and Off-Roads events in 2023. Certainly exciting times at Fly Racing, so go and check out all their new stuff led by that helmet. So for this one, we're joined by James Burfield and Jason Thomas of Fly Racing. So how are you, lads, and thanks for taking the time. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm at home for once, so that immediately uh, improves my mood a bit, and I uh, will be home again this weekend. So yeah, it's it sounds crazy for most people. It's like, oh yeah, great, I'm home on the weekend. That's normal life. But for me, it's a it's a rare privilege, and I won't get another weekend home from now until probably late October. Uh, so I'm gonna enjoy this, and uh, yeah, just wake up in my in my house this weekend, and all those things that most people take for granted. I'm I'm gonna get to do this weekend, but I will also be at all the races where everybody else wants to be on those other weekends. So it's a little bit of give and take for me. Yeah, good to hear from you, JT. Uh, Ed, I'm exactly the same. I'm at home at the moment. I think uh, I've missed the past five GPs um, due to money, really, just trying to save a bit of cash. And uh, yeah, tr- I'd like to get to Sweden. We'll see how we go. Um, but uh, yeah, everything's good. Same as JT. I like being at home. It's uh, it's quite nice. So it puts me in a good mood too. Yeah, mate, we've had a couple of good podcasts this week with Matthias Jorgensen and Langenfelder. So yeah, we've certainly been uh, getting some good ones out there, mate. But for you first, JT, how good is it to hear the news of obviously Tomax confirmed he's coming back for next year? And yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting, A1. I'm sort of getting a bit ahead of ourselves. But, you know, you look at A1, the lineup, Tomax, Sexton, probably both Lawrence brothers, Webb, Barsha, Roxon, Anderson, AC, AP, Craig, Mookie, probably Justin Cooper, probably Ferrandez. We don't know what team. Blossom, Colt, Nichols on the beta, Savachi, McElrath. How good's A1 going to be, mate? Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, you don't really think – because, you know, the field is so depleted right now and, and <laughs> riders are off doing different series and doing all sorts of things. But, yeah, I, I went through that every year as a privateer. I, I would look at the, the entry list in December and I would have to actually just, like, look at it and then be like, forget it. I'm not looking at this because I would psych myself out. Like, you just look at all these names that have won – they had won 250 races. They had won 450 races. They were prior champions. They were all, and I'm like, okay, so what am I going to do? How am I going to beat any of those guys? And then I just had to be like, no, forget, forget about reading the names on the list. Like you always find a way into these races and you always end up getting the same position you always do. Who cares? Like, don't worry about it. Uh, but yes, just and now I can just truly appreciate and look at it and be like, wow, this class is stacked. But I can remember those feelings very much of having to not look on purpose because I would get intimidated. And then once the racing started, that all went away. But you, you don't want to psych yourself out before you even show up. So uh, it's, a, it's a great time to be a race fan, though, whether it's MXGP or, uh, you know, AMA Supercross. The, the fields in both parts of the world are very deep. Yeah, mate, that looks pretty scary proposition for anyone. But I suppose, like you said, they're like Colt Nichols ended up getting a six at day one and not many people probably had that going on. So you just got to turn up and do your best. And, you know, sometimes it just takes care of itself. And before we get your thoughts on everything, James, your take on the Hunter, Hayden Deegan battle, mate, there's been a lot said about it. You know, a lot of choice words, sort of us versus them vibe going on. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, it's it's tough. Um, I can understand 
the side of um, some, like Steve Mathis, for example, Example, he really didn't like the take. I don't believe that the Lawrences like it very much. Um, I come down kind of in the middle. You know, I, I think there is nothing wrong with being uh, patriotic or proud of the the country that you come from. There, There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The only place I would ever have a problem with it is if you are negative or make derogatory comments towards anyone else, right? There's absolutely nothing wrong with being proud of where you're from and who you are. That's great. I, I believe most people should be that. Um, and as long as you keep it in, in that frame and don't say, well, I'm this and I'm better than you because I'm from here. I, I don't like that. That is not what I'm okay with. Um, so I, to me, it's, it's a little bit of nuance there. And uh, we're, we're sitting kind of right on the fence of where I think it could be too far. But I, I know what, you know, I know what the Deegans are trying to do. Like, they're definitely trying to rile up the American patriotism side. They're also campaigning for motocross the nations a little bit, too. Um, but, yeah, if you are, if you're not from America and you hear those comments, I can understand not loving it. I just think you just need to be very respectful when you do it. As long as you are saying, hey, I'm proud of where I come from. But, you know, as long as you're not saying, but it's not okay to be from Australia or from the UK or whatever. As long as you're not doing that, then I kind of just look the other way. Yeah. Well said. And James, your take on it. Yeah. I've, I'm, I'm fascinated by both. And, and I look at it from, uh, I, I completely agree with JT. I think there's, um, uh, as long as everybody, there's a respect in, in there's no negativity towards it, I think is so great for the sport. And I think business wise as well, uh, it's just raising the game. Like, it's not about us versus them or anything, but you you got to look back to uh, Australia is is building this uh, this fantastic young team towards the nations, and they're proud of what they're doing. And the fact that Hunter and Jet's gone over to to America, which we've always you know we've always said is is the land of opportunity, and that's why you go to America in the first place because it's the one place you can go and you can be nobody and make something of yourself. So fair play to, to those guys. And Lucas Myrtle is, is, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's an absolute marketing genius, plays it down, you know, very well, but um, what he's doing with, uh, with the Lawrence's and then, uh, you know, building this up, building this up, Deegan's at the same time, you've got to look at where, you know, with the channel going for five years, uh, you know, letting people into their life, building the, the, the subscribers, building, uh, the American people around them. JT's right. One eye on, on, on nations. Hey, look, break this down. Look at everything. This is the biggest and best market and opportunity. And we're all talking about it. Everybody is talking about it. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you are talking about this situation at the moment. So as with JT, as long as it's respectful, I think it's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's absolutely going to be great. Obviously heading into that nations to carry over JT, we sort of spoke last time about all the sort of movement in the background and trying to get, you know, certain riders on the USA team. It's looking like it's pretty hard to leave out Deegan at this point and probably be joined by, say, Sexton and AP. You know, maybe RJ Hampshire. I know he's keen, but it's probably not the performances he's wanting. But Deegan was so impressive at Washougal, wasn't it? He sort of had those couple of down rounds where it seemed like the title was, you know, maybe just a bit beyond him this year. Then he sort of just put that masterclass on massive sort of flex of the muscles and especially over his teammate Cooper and just he's so impressive the way the fitness the stamina the energy it's just phenomenal the way he just keeps pushing so hard and the level doesn't drop and especially on a sketchy track like that mate so who would you take for the USA team and obviously you'll be there and yeah how's all the process going over there there's so much uh there's so much going on behind the scenes there's so much lobbying for position uh there's a lot of politics being played 
the OEMs, the energy drinks, everybody's pushing and pulling for their rider and their positioning. Um, I've heard so many different stories of from people that I trust. So I, I know there's uh, at least truth to them, if not the entire truth to them. And it's, it's crazy. Uh, some of the teams will only participate if the team looks a certain way. Like if it's, if it's basically put our best foot forward, they, they won't participate if we're going to send any sort of B team. You know, the, the Sexton situation is still ongoing of will, will KTM be okay with him riding a Honda in October, which would be past the contract. Does he want to race a Honda in October? Like there, there's so much to unpack there. Um, every aspect of it, you know, the, the Deegans are making their play and it's really hard to not say he doesn't deserve it after Washougal. Right. And um, RJ is, is lobbying to be in there. Even if it's on a 450, he doesn't care. He wants to, to go. Uh, yeah. I, I think even, you know, Justin Barshall will be back for, for Unadilla, which is not, I don't even think it's public yet, but that, that's going to happen. Um, I think he'll be lobbying. If he comes out and, and puts in a great performance at Unadilla, I think you'll hear, hear his name thrown in there. Cooper Webb was trying to get in there. Uh, he was battling contractually, trying to get capable to ride a Yamaha at those events. He was he was even willing to ride a 250 at that event. Like it's just there's so many different pieces to the puzzle. And for me to tell you what I think is going to happen, I I truly don't even have a prediction. Um, I've heard so many wild scenarios. I think the only thing I feel confident in it right now is that Deegan gets picked for the 250 class. But even then, I don't think that's a, sh- a sure thing. It, it depends on what the team looks like. So I don't know. Um, I don't love it as far as, you know, I, I would I would love for Team USA to be really cut and dry by now. So we had a, a nice picture of what that was going to be, similar to how 2022 was, where we knew it was going to be Sexton, we knew it was going to be Tomac. And then really the only question was, who was the 250 rider going to be? I'm, I, that's where I would love to be right here, but we are miles from there. Uh, the only saving grace is that we do have good riders to choose from. It's just not the the perfect scenario picture that I would like it to be. And and a lot of that's just because Sexton's team change. Like we, he would be a shoe in, no question about it. Um, I'm feeling better and better about Deegan. And if he couldn't go, we have good options there. Uh, it's it's unfortunate that Justin Cooper's getting married because he would be a lock as well. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting scenario. And oh yeah. Don't forget, we have to run into the buzzsaw that is Australia and France and the Dutch. Now the hurling's back and all these teams too. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I'll be there. I'll be on the broadcast team again. I'm very excited for that. But, uh, man, I'm uh, I'm very unsure of how Team USA is going to fare this year in France. Yeah, before we pass to you, James, just quickly, JT, how much weight do you place in having experience you know, for an event like this, because it is massive. It probably is something like a lot of guys haven't been exposed to. So is that one sort of, you know, knock on picking Deegan is the experience, but I suppose the only way to get it is by going, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, there is there is something to be said for that. But at the same time, I think there's also something to be said for young and being oblivious. You just there, There's so much naivety about what it all means and the the legacy and tradition and history of it. If you don't know any of that, it's like, oh, sweet, let's go race in France. That'll be fun. You know, like the for me, I'm I'm such a student of this sport and I love that particular event so much. I put so much into it and pressure. But if you know, I'd almost wonder what it's like to not know or feel any of that. You would just be like, man, this is a cool opportunity. I can't wait to go do that. And and maybe you maybe it's better. Than, than the opposite. Um, and, and I'm obviously thinking of Hayden Deegan when I say that. I don't think 
and maybe this is a, the wrong presumption. I don't think he knows everything that's gone ever gone on with Team USA. You know, he's only 17. I don't get the perception from him that he's knows everything about the results and, and the history of the sport like some do. So it, it'd be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out if he shows up nervous or if I think his personality is kind of just I don't I'm gonna beat everybody why why would I be nervous I'm gonna like that's how he's approached this series so far so maybe he just approaches that event the same way yeah, it doesn't seem to be a burden for him it seems to be like a motivating factor to prove people wrong and show that he's that good so yeah James your thoughts on the nations and America and how excited are you to be going there yeah I'm I echo JT sentiments I. The the one thing I will say is Erne is uh, you know the track is, is 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 different to probably what you know if if an American's raced Erne before or they know of Erne then then they've got one up because they'll understand how uh, tricky that track can be. Um, it, it's tight. It, it's it, it'll get rough. You know stones and and, and so on. So I think it's going to lend itself to anybody who's had some experience of riding European tracks as well, but. You know, JT's right. When you've got somebody like Deegan at the moment who believes he can beat anybody and it doesn't matter what track, what bike, what race, what championship or anything else, um, he, he believes he's capable of beating anybody. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's super exciting. The uh, I, I think it's nice, actually, because we all we in Europe, we all want the Americans to be at at the motocross nations the motocross nations is not the motocross nations without the americans that's the reason why so many europeans go is because it's a great chance to see all these riders that we don't get to see but also you know the second part of it is that usa versus versus europe because that's always been built up over the years um but you know it's it's like jt's like i didn't even think about you know contract situations and bikes and and energy brands and stuff like that jesus christ in the uk at the moment we we're just like we're looking around trying to find three people to turn up um they've got you know an embarrassment of riches uh but the fact that there's a lot of politics um i you know i you know the naive me is not aware of that you know that's like jt's in, ingrained within uh, the U.S. industry, he's he can kind of see what's what's going on, you know. There from from the fans uh, in Europe, they have no idea about all these things. What's going on? We just expect three best riders to be selected. Yeah, and just listening to Ben and Brad's podcast on MX Vice, I just had Lars Lindstrom on there, and he said he definitely would support Texan on a Honda if he wants to do that, and obviously the Lawrence brothers. So they're all in supporting the guys if they want to go, and it'll be pretty interesting to see who ends up showing up, that's for sure. But yeah, JT, just moving on to the title fight in, in the 250 class. Do you see Hunter getting it done, or do you see Hayden getting it done? Like, I suppose if you asked anyone with three rounds to go, you'd probably give the edge to Hunter just on experience, and just, you know, he probably in three rounds would probably accumulate more points than Hayden on the surface. But as we've seen, he's faced a lot of adversity and more stuff can go wrong, and he's riding hurt, even though this break will have been good for him to heal up a bit. So they'll both be pretty rested recalibrated for a full assault for these last three won't they yeah I, I do like hunter in this scenario uh mostly for the reasons you said i think he's been the best rider over the course of these races you look at the adversity he's faced and if you take away the first turn crash which i know crashes are a part of the sport but if you take away that 25 point loss potentially and then his engine failure at southwick the championship looks a lot different even if you take away the 25 point engine failure at Southwick, or let's say 20 points, it looks a lot different than it does right now. Uh, this was a rider that won the opening five rounds of the series, something like that. 
And there was no question who the best rider in the championship was. So now you've given him something like 19 or 20 days of healing time before he's going to have to perform again. That's going to make a huge difference in what he's capable of doing on the motorcycle. Um, and, and I'm I'm fortunate that I'm able to stand right where they come off the track, right? They're raw emotion and whether it's pain or uh, you know, the thrill of victory or any of those things are raw emotion, right? When they take their helmet off. And I've seen him in pain almost every time, right? His ribs are really, really bothering him when he comes off the track. And I think he's going to get some comfort now, you know, right? If he doesn't have a crash in this, in this break and he doesn't have a crash at Unadilla, I think he's going to be able to ride more quickly. You know, like his, his aggression level, he'll be able to have more intensity. He'll also have been able to practice. He hasn't really practiced a whole lot during this stretch because of the rib injury they've been focused on recovery not so much improvement so i think he's hit you know that edge that he's had over everybody was dulled a bit just because he hasn't been practicing a lot he's just been racing on the weekend so all of those things set up really nicely for him and i just think he's been in this spot before he's he's battled for championships he's he doesn't seem to be phased by the moment at all. Um, I have been, I've been watching really close all season and he doesn't seem under pressure to me one bit. So I think he's very comfortable with a one-on-one title fight with Hayden Deegan over the course of three rounds. I think that's, if you could, if you could offer him that at the beginning of 2023, right? Hey, you're going to have the championship lead. We're going to go into three rounds and you're, you're just going to have to be concerned with a 17 year old rookie named Hayden Deegan he was going to, he would take that a hundred out of a hundred times. So if you put, if you frame it like that, he's, he's in a great spot. That doesn't mean Hayden can't win. You watch that second moto at Washougal. And that was one of the most impressive performances I've seen on a 250 in years, period, end of story. So there is that part of, of the equation. Uh, but yeah, for my money, I, I would take Hunter and, and feel pretty confident that he'll get this thing done. Yeah. And just quickly with Jet in the perfect season, do you think it's very much possible? Do you think he can get through the last three? And obviously with Barsha coming back, like you said, and I believe Roxon should be at least in the mix for a couple of them. It's going to be a pretty interesting fight to see if he can do it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, I'm I'm hearing that Kenny's likely out now for the for the the final three. Um, so that oh, okay. we'll see if that news comes to fruition. But that's what I'm hearing is that he's made the decision to not participate in in any of the the final three outdoor races. But Barsha will be back for Unadilla, so that'll be great. Uh, we'll see him back in the mix. But realistically, for me, it's it's going to be whether Chase can beat him or not. And if it's not Chase, then I think it's probably ten riders because it's either going to be Chase or he wins, or there's some sort of big problem—a mechanical failure, a big crash, something like that goes on. I just haven't seen anybody else really for 35 minutes be close enough. You know, Dylan's shown us. A little bit here and there. He's shown flashes of brilliance, but over the course of a moto, he just either can't hold the pace. The signs of him being uncomfortable with the motorcycle pop up here and there. You can, I can see his frustration. And, and he's been pretty forthright. Like he's been transparent with the struggles he's had with the 2023 Yamaha and motocross. Um, and I just don't know that that's going to give him the pace and the confidence to beat Jet the entire moto because Jet is the master strategist. And I, I, it, baffles me how because if you talk to him you'd be like there's no way this guy can be this incredible motocross chess player you know in in the midst of a race but he is he truly is and if dylan was giving him a hard time he would just wait him out and then if he had to beat him on the last lap i think i think he truly can 
Um, that's what he's done to Chase. Every time Chase has given him a fight, he's just figured him out. Where is he fast? Okay, I'll let him get to my rear wheel, and then I'll make him push into a place he's not comfortable with, or I'll make him expend too much energy, and he can't hold this pace anymore. You know, he, just, he has so many tools at his disposal. It's almost like he just decides which is the right tool for the job, and then he will utilize that, and no one else has an answer for it, right? And uh, it's, it's truly remarkable to see someone this versatile this young and, and it's, it's unique. Um, you know, James Stewart, he just killed everybody with speed. Just nobody could touch his raw speed, you know, and Ricky was such an aggressive, like nobody could match speed and fitness. And he had all these things, but like race management and those things weren't, that wasn't where he really excelled. Um, that was Chad Reed's more forte was kind of the ultimate race manager, but he didn't have the speed of James and Ricky at times. It's like Jed is this transformer that someone has built in a lab that has all of these tools, the speed, the, the mental race craft, the fitness, the youth, the charisma, the marketability, all like it's, he's the perfect storm of what anybody's ever wanted. And I guess the closest thing I've ever seen to it would, if Ken Roxon had gone on this championship spree, won supercross championships and motocross where I think Jet is going, that's about the closest we've ever seen to it is what Jet's becoming. Absolutely. That's a great summary of basically where he excels and just the, the areas that he's strong in, which is almost pretty much everywhere and on and off the track. So yeah, James, your take on the Lawrence brothers and how good are they going, mate? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, from seeing him in Europe and then obviously over to the US and stuff and got to know him a little bit. I think one of the things what's been most striking about um, about Jet is is he is he is like a sponge. I mean, his, his learning um, capacity has been insane. And I think what he's done is all, all the riders that uh, JT's mentioned is he's learned from all of them. You know, I mean, that's a, we talk about Jet's skill in, in let's talk about Jet's intelligence because uh, line choices, um, when to pass, when to, you know, that comes from being in, in, intelligent, you know, understanding what you can and can't do. But I think, you know, previous to that, he's, learn from all the people that uh, have have been a benchmark to him you know taking those 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 parts of, of of each person so i think his intelligence will get will get him through to the perfect season because i think he'll he, he'll play it right he'll play it correctly he knows what he wants to achieve um and and going and going to hunter i think uh i think deegan said it uh brian deegan said it in you know you know really well in, in in one of his vlogs where you know uh hunter is the level you know in in the 250 class hunter is the level which everybody uh is aspiring to be and it, and it's great to see hayden hayden up there but i think the the difference is is uh hunter's been there seen it done it you know mxgp level now in um uh, you know, now in America, and, and and I just think now he's got, he's got the experience. He can handle the pressure. Uh, I just think he's got all the tools. But that's not taken nothing away from Hayden Deegan. What Hayden Deegan's done this year is 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 nothing short of you know phenomenal and exciting. He's, it, you know, to have to. Ha I mean, the Americans are are just blessed because to have Hayden Deegan and Jet Lawrence. Um, you know, in 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 the series is now. I mean, that is just an absolute marketer's dream. You know, like, I mean, yeah, I can't I can't be too explicit on this show, but you know, there's a lot of girls who get very excited, and I think there'll be a lot more females in the sport. So, um, yeah, going back, I think uh, Jet's intelligence, and uh, I think um, I think Hunter's experience is what's gonna gonna pave the way for for those guys to achieve their goals this year. 
Yeah, mate. And just for the second part of this show, JT, your thoughts on MXGP, mate? Obviously, Fever has won five straight now. He's been absolutely excellent, even though he hasn't been, you know, closing that points gap really at all. I think it's, you know, sort of eight points in the last five rounds or something outrageous just because Prado keeps doing his thing like he won two of the three point scoring races on the weekend. And Fever was even saying afterwards, it's just, I know now I'll keep, I'll keep going for wins and keep doing my thing, but I know that something needs to happen now and that's been that way for a while, but you sort of had that little bit of a conceding defeat almost, but it was actually pretty cool to sort of harp back to your comments about how you said, I think it was before the Indonesian stint, the Prado needs to keep his foot on the throat and, you know, he's been managing it well with what he's doing, but he sort of is still really pushing because he's still trying hard to sort of assert his dominance. And do you see that the way it's playing out as well, mate? Yeah. And, and I think he's in a place now where it's just, just keep the status quo. You know, and, and Febra has won five races in a row. But if you've, re- if you've looked at the points, they haven't changed a whole lot. You know, Prado has been really opportunistic. He's done well in the qualifying races. He's stolen a moto win here and there. And even though Febra's grabbing all the headlines and he's getting the big bonus checks, at the end of the day, Prado's like, yeah, so what? I still have a 90-plus point lead with a few rounds to go. And, and I think that's been, for me, a very under reported on part of this story is that yes Febra is going for it right he is putting it all on the line every single time but Prado's in a position where he doesn't have to do that you know and, and when the win's on the table he'll take it just like Moto2 at uh, in Finland he, he took the win he rode an incredible race but if everything's not perfect he understands that the the pressure's not on him at this point he can absorb a second or a third and if he loses two or three Five points on the day. So what? Another weekend was checked off the box. They're going to move on to another GP, and he still has almost a full two-event lead over the competition. So it's it's a great place for him to be. Um, I, you know, I, I think that has been something he's just been managing. Like he's just okay. Just get through the weekend. You know, he, he, I think he feels like he's better than most. Like Febra is really the only one that can truly challenge him on a week-to-week basis, and that's a great. That's probably gives him a lot of comfort. But I've been kind of watching the battle between those two, and I don't think there's a lot of love lost between them at the moment. Um, just kind of the, you know, they've kept it clean, but I've been watching to see if Febra would get aggressive with him or try to force a mistake, or at some point desperation is going to have to set in here. But uh, it's been overall, even though he's lost five in a row, I think this season and, and the management of it has been a master class by Prado. It's, he's been the king of opportunism. And again, without grabbing headlines, he's doing, he's doing what he needs to do, you know, and and he's understood that this qualifying system on Saturday completely changes the math on what it takes to win a championship. You don't have to win GPs to come out ahead and look really, really strong in the points. If you can master that Saturday race and then have a, just a strong Sunday, that's that there's a new equation for winning world championships now. Yeah, it's, it's just the way he's done it. It's been so impressive. And I got sent some stats from Paul Piercy, which I'll just quickly tell you, mate. The qualifying points, Prado's obviously 118 and Fevra's 97. And Prado's laps led is 167. But the majority of those sort of 70 plus percent are in the first motos. And then Fevra's got 134 laps led. And then the next best is Hurling's on 50. And then, you know, first lap position for Prado, 2.35 whereas Fevres is 4.61. So that just sort of explains how well he's putting him in the positions to, you know, avoid the drama. Like what happened to Yago Gertz on the weekend. He gets the starts. He's got 10 whole shots now level with Jeremy Sewer. So that's what you got to do is avoid the drama or at least give yourself the best chance of doing so, isn't it? And yeah, just your thoughts on that. And then Yago's crash too, because it's just devastating, isn't it? Yeah, that was, uh, 
it's it's tough for Yago. Um, I, I thought he was going to come back and win this championship. I really did. Uh, I I thought all along that he was the best rider, and I think when he's been healthy, he's proven that. You know, the, this crash was not something that was his mistake necessarily. You know, you could argue that he should be in a better position on the opening lap, which would keep him out of trouble. That's a fair claim to make. Uh, but it's just been critical mistake after critical mistake at the wrong time this entire championship. And uh, it's a part of racing, you know, staying healthy. You know, many would make the claim that it's it's an art. You know, there's a skill to staying healthy, avoiding bad situations, making good decisions ahead of time, making sure you're ahead of the pack on the opening lap. Like Jorge Prado always does and always has is going to keep you out of a lot of trouble. You're going to avoid other people's mistakes. Uh, but I, I think, honestly, I, I think for years, Yago will look back on this championship and feel like he left one on the table. I truly do. And there's nothing he can do about it. He's injured. Nothing anybody can do about it. But I think it's going to be one that haunts him for a really long time. You think about last year, he barely loses to Tom Vial at the final round. And then he looks at this season, he's like, oh, well, yeah, there's nobody left. This should be pretty easy. And then it's just been, you know, one catastrophe after another that he's had to fight through. Um, so, yeah, I feel for him. I don't know him at all. But I just, I know racers. And I know this one's probably going to haunt him for a very long time. Yeah, James, you obviously know him pretty well. And just this sort of sums it up. He's led 188 laps this year, Yago. And then the next best is Lucas Kuhnert on 76. Then Langenfelder, 68, and then Adamo, only 54. So, you know, he just keeps being consistent and picking up points, and that's proven the path to the title this year, hasn't it, mate? Yeah, um, I, I think you've got to look back to to France. I think um, it is, it is a de- decision-making process. And in France, there was – he was on, – on the very far hill, he was – it was like he was five miles an hour quicker than everybody else on, on the last hill. But he didn't need to be. He could have just backed it down a little bit, you know. But he didn't. He didn't. Literally, he he wanted to be the fastest guy out there in that that you know that that's the stat with the uh, the the laps led is just insane. But it's you know it goes in line with the way that he's performed this year. But I think it's those critical conditions of of knowing when to back it down. You've got to look at you know on on the other hand, you know that. Prado and Adamo spent the whole winter riding together. Adamo's learned so much from Prado. Uh, his sand game is completely changed. I think you know Adamo. Knowing how Adamo is is coming into this year, and doing what he's done in this championship, but Adamo has been in in a way what Prado's been in MXGP because, and and when you've got Tony Caroli and you've got um, uh, Prado and you're training with them every day, that stuff's gonna rub off. In in Adamo's has been the Prado of MX2 where. Yes, he's got his race wins. He's just got his second second motor win with the one one. I think the last one was Trentino, um, but we've seen glimpses. You know, last year of his improvements. I mean, the way he's improved in the last two years has been insane. So, as much as Yago's thrown this championship, uh, you know, away with you know that the the mistake of just trying to back it down a little bit in France when the the track was rough, it was tough. Yeah, there was places which were catching everyone out. You know, that that mindset of I don't need to be the fastest guy here today. I just need to take, you know, a third overall or second overall or, or whatever. Um, you couldn't help the the jump. Oster Hagen's going down, you know, that's just that's just racing. But it, it, JT, that's right. It, you know, if he finds himself in front, then it's a it's a different story. You're you're not you're not in those crashes. But you have to yeah. credit Adamo. You know, Adamo has been 
so good this year. He's been the Prado of MX2. In a way, he's just been there or thereabouts, just picking up those points. But um, as much as Yago's lost his championship, Adamo is is done the right things in being that uh, consistent nuisance to keep the pressure on. Yeah, JT, you want to have a few words on Andrea? Because it's been very impressive by him and yeah, picking up that win. And he didn't even expect to be winning in the sand, you know, especially the way he did it. It was pretty impressive because we were talking, you know, and Lorenzo too, about how before the season, there was a lot of chat that this Red Bull KTM team, oh, they might not even get a podium between them all this season. You know, it's not really, you know, looking that good for them. And the next generation sort of come through very nicely indeed, haven't they? Yeah, he's he's been much better than I would have ever anticipated. And, you know, there's a saying that's why they hold the races, right? If if we knew or if we thought we knew who was going to win every championship before they showed up, we could just hand out the trophies at the opening round and all go home. But, you know, racing has a funny way of working out that way. And you can you can see the hard work that Andreas put in, right? And and I, I wasn't even that aware that he had been working with Prado so much. I know Tony Caroli has been a huge influence on him. But you can tell that whoever he's working with and listening to, it's he's paying attention, right? And he's he's taking it to heart and putting in the work because to improve this much, forget about being world champion, but just the improvement he's shown all season doesn't come by accident. And uh, yeah, he he deserves it, right? I mean, people get hurt and, and things happen and you have to be the one that's there picking up the pieces. And I thought that was, this was a big statement weekend for him because when Yago got hurt, it would have been easy for him to kind of take it easy and say, okay, I, I have this championship in the bag now. All I have to do is just not blow it. And instead of that, he took advantage of it and went out and went 1-1 on a weekend where I think a lot of people, it would have forced him to be conservative because now they know injury is really the only enemy at this point of the championship. And instead of that, he was the aggressor and said, no, that's okay. If I'm going to be world champion, I'll just go ahead and win the races as well. Um, so I thought that was a really strong statement by him. Yeah, and James, just Joel Smets must be pretty happy, mate, because obviously he trains both of them, and yeah, he must be sitting on top of the world just like they are. Yeah, it's 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 funny you say that. Like it started a year, you know, KTM were wondering where the wins are going to come from, but we had the same, you know, the same concept came when Tom Vial moved from EMX two hundred and fifty, where he was a top ten rider, he wasn't, you know, winning, and and he goes to literally jumps on the Red Bull KTM bike, and it produces back to back world championships, and then ends up in America, so. You know, will we see the same from Adamo? I, you know, you can't rule out if he does take this title this year. You know, is he going to be the one to beat again next year? And he's going to have that experience. He's going to have the racecraft uh, and the knowledge of what it takes to win that World Championship. Because when you look at the list of riders in there, Rohan van der Moosdijk, you know, he, uh, just phenomenal riders, just not quite done it in his last year. You've got Horgmo, great rider, just not done it in his last year. You've got uh, the Coonan brothers, who are basically the future of the of the MX2 class, but you know you've got Kaida Wolf, you've got you know Kaida Wolf. How how is Kaida Wolf not you know you know there or thereabouts you know? In, but again, just a couple of little things was happening. But you know, kudos to Adamo because Adamo has been able to do what not many other people have done because before it was Viao and before that it was Renault and then and then Prado. So. You know, it takes a lot to win that MX2 World Championship because you, when, you, when you're when you winning that World Championship, you are beating literally the best in the world. And that top five in MX2 is insane. Yeah, and JT, just a couple more for both of you. Just your thoughts on Langenfeld, a brilliant weekend. Obviously, since he's come back from injury, he's got four straight overall podiums now. 
he's just such a great rider, isn't he? He's a little bit under the radar. Probably raised the bar a bit high when he went one-one at Madeley Basin last year, and he probably didn't quite replicate it. But yeah, now he's yeah, he's just such a great rider. And that second moto after that early crash, he was just tearing through the field on a pass that was narrow and really hard to sort of make moves on. So your thoughts on him, mate? Because he was probably the the fastest guy on the weekend, and maybe that was the performance of the weekend too. Yeah, he, he has been really good all season. You know, the mistakes have really been the problem. You know, he had that arm injury, which kind of took him out of the championship fight, but he's been a strong competitor. And I think as we look towards 2024, the door is going to be wide open for a lot of these riders. There isn't, to me, there's not going to be a rider that is has a stranglehold on this or will be the, the dominant favorite going in. And whether it's Kunin making a huge step forward, either one of them, uh, Langenfelder or Adamo or... Take your pick of, you know, Liam Everts, who, whoever. There are plenty of riders. Beniston will be back. There's so many of these guys that I think really could establish themselves and be world champion. And I think for the racing, it's better. You know, having that parity, having the uncertainty of who the best guy is. They're, they're instead of one or two guys that we just know, well, it's going to be between Tom Vial and Geertz this weekend. We know that. No, it's going to be between 10 of them. And there can be a, such a huge shakeup every weekend. I think that's a that's a great setup for the races. The 450 class has not been so different at times this year. You know, some guys have struggled a bit, but until Febra's really broken out, I thought there were several guys that could win this year in MXGP. So I believe the racing is the best when it's like that. When you, you the gate drops and you have no idea what to expect, and I think that's exactly what 2024 MX2 will be. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well said. And before we let you go, do you want to just do a quick little read about fly racing, mate? Obviously, the exciting new Formula S helmets come out and how good was the launch? And it's obviously been really well received. Yeah, just a couple of words on that before we let you go, mate. Yeah, it's been exciting. Uh, you know, I, I get to see this line and be a part of its cre- you know, creation and development so far ahead of time that it's like Christmas morning a bit when everybody else gets to see it because I've been so excited about this particular line for a long time. And it's Every year is different. You know, you have levels of excitement and some years speak to you different ways. And I just felt like this was a, a really positive step. Like we were really trying to reinvent our style a bit. You'll notice the the logos are very different. Uh, the stylings very different for what we've offered in the past. And it was our 25th anniversary and we wanted to step out. We wanted it to be something that was unexpected by even people that, had, that are loyal fly customers. We wanted it to be something very, very different and unexpected. And I think we accomplished that. Uh, we worked with new desi- a new design team um, just for a brand new look. We wanted to, okay, don't do what we've always done. That's not what we're trying to accomplish here. We want something that's fresh and exciting. And I just felt like we were getting into a place where the look was very consistent and getting a little stale. And I think we did a great job of breaking out of that. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very excited for a new look. And then, uh, of course, you know, the Formula S coincided with that. Um, Formula S was, that's been a multi-year project, probably three years in development. Um, and it's a helmet that has real-time uh, impact detection. So if you have a crash, there's there's a million different aspects to this. So the best thing I can tell you to do is go to flyracing.com slash formula hyphen S, and it's going to lay it all out for you. And there's a ton of videos. I've I've worked with our team to create a ton of tutorials, and, and there's all sorts of things there, a wealth of information. But this helmet will tell you via your app on your smartphone what kind of crash you've had, it how much um, – how severe the impact was, how many G's your helmet sustained. It'll track your ride as far as ride analytics. If you have some sort of impact that's deemed a crash, it will notify your family, whoever you put as your emergency contacts. It will let them know you've had an impact and how severe it was. 
Uh, there's just endless functions to this. And I wish I was smarter because I, I could get more concise into how this all works, but the, there's nothing like this in the off-road world right now. It's truly a first. And uh, I've been, I've been holding my breath and not been able to talk about it for so long now. Um, so that now that it's finally available, it's, it's a really exciting time. And, and honestly, the, the most challenging part of it is it's really advanced. Like it will do so many different things and it has so many aspects to it that it's hard to get all that information out to someone in a, you know, inside of their attention span. Um, but whether, you know, if you like the right analytics side for me, I think the, the safety side and the impact detection is the most important because for me, as you know, whether it's working for fly racing or just being a part of this industry, I get asked all the time, Hey, I've had a crash. Is my helmet okay? Should I buy a new helmet? That's not a question that's really answerable for most people. I can look at it, give you my opinion, but it's usually going to be, Hey, if you crash hard, you probably get a new helmet. Now we have quantifiable data that will tell you exactly what type of impact your helmet sustained. Right. And whether you buy a new helmet, that's still your decision, but at least you have something to point to and say, yeah, look at how many G forces I sustained. I should probably do something about that. Or yeah, it wasn't that bad. Like I didn't think it was that bad. And this data is also telling me that it was not that bad. So maybe I'm okay. Um, so it's, uh, it's a lot there. Um, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it because there's just simply way too much to unpack there. But whether you go to our website or that that landing site that I that I read off there, um, I implore you to just check it out. It may not be something that you're interested in now, but this this technology is going to continue to expand. And I think one day you're going to be like, yeah, I have to be a part of that. There's There's just far too much upside for me to not be taking advantage of it. Yeah, mate, well said. It's super exciting and it's a real game changer as well. And here's any final thoughts from you too, James, before we wrap this one up? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I want to say that, um, you know, as as a, a, a tech digital nerd, um, the, the new Rayon, uh, you know, Formula S helmet it is phenomenal. Kudos, uh, Jason, to, to you and, and, and the Fly team and, and what you've produced because... You know, ever since I was young, you know, you, there's a, you have a lot of parts on your on your body which uh, uh, are impactful. Um, but the brain is is obviously the the one which you know the brain and the spine is is obviously the most important with the brain. Um, you know, to to have a helmet which can you can like you say you don't need to ask a helmet a specialized helmet technician to find out whether the helmet's good. Now you can literally check it up. Okay, because sometimes it. it you know, correct me if I'm wrong, JT. Sometimes it, it, the impact can be it doesn't you need you don't need to be going fast. It could be just you you know uh, just a, a mistake. You go down in the corner, hit your head. You don't know the severity, but now we've got an, an app which is going to be able to tell us that, which is incredible. Yeah. So like yeah, G force yeah, cool. of the impact. You know, it's like insane. Um, I mean, is it three years it's taken to literally? you know, get this technology because we see it all the time with Google and with Apple and, you know, everybody using sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, tech based in like, uh, you know, people wearing stuff with watches and stuff, but how the hell did it come about with, with the helmet? Well, we've had, you know, the, the technology has been capable via the, the chip. So your helmet, your Formula S helmet has a chip in the back of the helmet, right? So it has a gyroscope, it has sensors that run, basically build a little shell that tell the chip how much energy was absorbed, uh, which is, it's really technical and I'm, I'm not doing a good job of explaining it well. Uh, <laughs> but the time and the challenge for us was, uh, and, and we didn't develop it, the company we work with, it's a company called Quinn, they're based in Texas, was the app. The app is where all of the development takes the most time, right? Processing, 
interpreting and making all of that data able to be understood by a customer that doesn't know much, that's where the magic is, right? Your average consumer, think about the, the most uh, or least technically, technically savvy person you can think of. That person still needs to be able to buy this helmet and understand what's going on with it. The app needs to be that functional and that easy to use. So that's where it takes so much time and work through bugs and redesign and no, it's too complicated. Uh, that's not e as easily accessible enough. And all these things, it just takes time and time and time. So for us, it was never what the chip was capable of. The chip is far, far more capable of even what we're allowing it to do right now. And we're going to have several upgrades along the way, which it's all just firmware that'll upgrade just like any app. So you won't have to buy a new helmet or any anything. So as we're prepared to roll out upgrades, it'll just upgrade. You'll wake up one morning and say, oh, wow, my, my helmet's telling me so much more data now. That'll just be an unlock that gets automatically upgraded to your helmet. So um, there's endless things there. It's just, it's a matter of the technology in the app and the development of the app kept catching up to what this amazing chip is capable of. There's so many things it's capable of doing. Uh, one of the things, and for for Europe and the UK, this is something I'm not exactly sure of the functionality yet, but it's coming in the US. I know very, very well. If you're in a crash in the US and you have a severe impact and your helmet's going to register that impact, and there, there are certain thresholds that trigger these events. If you have the paid version of the app in America and you suffer this impact, it will immediately set off your, what we call an SOS beacon, which is basically like, hey, there's a problem. You have the ability to cancel that. Say if you crash and you're like, no, I'm fine. I don't need help. You can cancel it. You can either tap on your helmet or if you have your phone, you can cancel it manually. If you don't do that and you have the paid version, this helmet will use your, utilize your, your cell phone to call what we would say 911, right? Emergency services that gives your location, all of your, your bio information, so your blood type, everything that has already been pre-programmed. So they're going to, ambulance and emergency services are coming to your location in, in the event of a crash, no matter what. If that happens and you need help, they will also send status updates in real time to your emergency contacts, your wife, your mom, your family members, whoever you deem appropriate to let them know exactly what's going on. You would get a text basically saying, uh, ambulance has arrived. You know, they are administering uh, service. Uh, they've been marked safe, whatever the situation may be. So it has all of these crazy capabilities um, that, yeah, it's, it's, it's capable of all those things. We're just trying to get the app to a place where it can handle all this information and, and make it presentable. So it's, it's a maze. It's, it's blows me away when I get really in the weeds on some of this stuff. <laughs> I look at it, I'm like, man, this thing it feels like it's capable of launching a space shuttle, right? It just has so much, yeah. but it's, that's the tough part is making it usable for your average person who doesn't know why. I, I always think about my dad, right? Like brilliant guy, incredible mechanic. But like when it comes to high tech, new age, modern stuff, he's just like, ah, I don't want to mess. I don't even know how that works. Right. They just get frustrated and they say, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. That's where we have to stay away from that frustration, make it, make it easily accessible and easily maneuverable so we don't lose that customer because it would be a shame for someone to just get frustrated with the tech side and walk away from a product that could truly make a difference. It could keep you safer. It could really improve your ride. It could do all these great things. But if, if we make, if it's too challenging to break through it and, and work through it, they'll, they'll just leave it. And that's what we don't want to happen.
No, mate, it's unbelievable. Cheers for sharing those insights on that amazing product. And yeah, all the best, mate, for your weekend off away from the racing before you get back into the grueling schedule. So yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And thanks for joining us too, James. It's been a cracking podcast. No worries. Uh, Enjoy it, guys. Always great to chat to you, GT. You too. Thanks, boys. Thanks for the time. Cheers. Have a good one.